0: While you're doing so, uh, allow me to take a moment and pray for our time in the word now. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have Holy Scripture, and that on this uh, Sunday we join together uh, with the global church across the world with saints who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who together uh, with one voice as one body are worshiping You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord God, we thank you that uh, we join together with the church triumphant, Lord, that has come before us and is now uh, with you, Lord God, in paradise. Lord God, all of us, the cloud of witnesses that have come before us and the church persecuted and the church at peace across the world now, Lord God, we have the same access in one spirit through faith, to come and worship you. So Lord, we are grateful in the name of Jesus that we can do this now, that we have Holy Scripture inspired by the Spirit to enlighten our eyes, to instruct and train us so that we might live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, help us, Lord, to see the lowliness of Christ and the Apostle Paul in the scriptures today and to embrace that gladly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, another time to, for me to be able to open up God's Word with you, but certainly a unique time. Uh, today is, Janian, my last Sunday here as a part of Holt Markham, and we have a few more days in the office, and then officially we'll finish up uh, on Thursday. It's a unique time uh, in our life, and I was thinking back uh, in preparation for this sermon about unique, other unique times uh, in our lives and the first one that came to mind was uh, summer 2010 summer 2010 I actually had an, was when I first started uh, here at the church uh, at a summer internship and uh, I just finished or was soon finishing off university and uh, only anticipated being here at home Arkham for the summer. Uh, But during that time, I went on a trip uh, to see a friend get married, and it was in the States. But on my way home, uh, taking a flight home, I was just thinking about what was ahead of us, finishing off school, uh, what I thought would be a temporary internship, seeing my friends get married, but the time not being married. And I just had this sense, this abiding sense of uh, uncertainty and inadequacy, kind of like maybe standing on the edge of a cliff Uh, Knowing that you need to cross to get what's on the other side, but having no idea how you're going to get across and knowing that you have no capacity to be the one who's going to get you from one side to the other. Uh, We're standing on another cliff now, and we know what's ahead of us, but we really don't know what's ahead of us. Um, And in many ways, uh, Hope Markham as a church is kind of in this space as well standing out looking into a void, knowing that there's um, somehow we need to cross it, but uncertain of how, feeling inadequate to be able. Today, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, I want to prove to you that this is the exact place that God wants to bring you in order to reveal his power. That might be where me and my family are. That might be where church as a whole is. This might be where you are personally. It might be where you are in a relationship. It might be where you are just in your own growth with Christ. It might be where you are in your career or your education. You're standing at this gaping void, knowing you need to cross, uncertain about how you're going to do it, feeling inadequate to be able to do it. Good. I want to prove to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that this is the very place that God chooses to bring his people in order to reveal his power. So I hope at the end of the sermon that you'll be willing to see your inadequacies and be glad for them. Even through our uncertainties and inadequacies, Christ is always leading us triumphantly. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Today, I want to show you how Christ leads us triumphantly, why he leads us, and who leads, is led triumphantly. So let's look at the text together. Chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Christ is always leading us triumphantly. So let's look at the apostle Paul's life and first ask, how? How does Christ lead us triumphantly? The illustration that Paul is employing here, the triumphal procession, is Paul's use of... um, or describing his current circumstance to a Roman victory parade. The triumphal procession was a military victory parade given for a Roman general after a successful military conquest. The general would return home and would parade behind him the in chains the prisoners of war that he captured in his victory, and there show of shame added to his triumphant glory interestingly paul is identifying himself as one of those shamed prisoners of war in colossians chapter 2 verse 15 paul uses the similar language that uh, christ triumphs over using this Roman general military parade. In that context, though, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says the one who's being triumphed over in open shame are the demonic spiritual forces of the world, that Christ triumphed over them in the cross, putting them into open shame. Yet, it's very interesting. It's perplexing that here Paul would identify the object of the one who's being led in triumphal procession, the one who's being exhibited as an object of shame, is himself. Why is he doing this? Well, this is how Christ leads us triumphantly. Through perplexing mystery, he uses our weaknesses to display his glory. See, the Corinthians would have heard this and be like, why are you making yourself an object of ridicule? This is actually the reason Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. Some people in Corinth were trying to claim that they had the same authority like Paul as apostles. But in order to attempt to validate their fraudulent authority, they were working hard to invalidate Paul these so-called apostles were parading Paul around as an object of shame, and instead of really defend it, though there were instances where he did defend himself, he actually gladly embraced it and showed how all of their criticism of him didn't actually bring him lower to be insignificant and insufficient, but all their criticism of him brought him lower to make him more sufficient to show how great and glorious God was. In chapter 4, verse 7, Paul, yeah, he puts his, his weaknesses on display. He says, we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, if I were using a euphemism that would compare the jars of clay in modern language, you might say, we have this treasure in porcelain thrones. That's kind of what Paul was describing himself as there. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's so, like, yeah, you want to shame me, so called fraudulent apostles? Great. The weaker I look, the stronger God looks. Chapter 11, verse 30, he says, If I must boast, then I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Okay, but why though? Because. Corinth was in a little bit of a leadership crisis. Their predominant leader, Paul, was being criticized. And in a leadership crisis, don't you think it would make sense for the leader being criticized to make a show of strength? Wouldn't it make sense for that person to do something that would be reassuring to the people you're supposed to lead so that that they can trust you? Maybe. Maybe if you don't understand the mystery of the gospel and how Christ triumphs. Paul understood the perplexing mystery of the gospel, and Paul knew that Christ is always leading us triumphantly. The triumph of Christ's leadership can only be seen, and his power can only be truly displaced if his followers embrace their weaknesses. And see, isn't this exactly how Christ himself Triumphed. Was Christ, did Christ parade into Jerusalem as a conquering king like the Roman generals? No. No, he came in as a suffering servant. Christ triumphed by being betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends. Christ triumphed by being arrested by his enemies. Christ triumphed by being falsely accused and wrongfully convicted. Christ triumphed by being beaten and tortured. Christ triumphed by being mocked and ridiculed. Christ triumphed by being murdered. But here's the mystery of the gospel. This is all what we call the humiliation of Christ. His humiliation is our hope. Because this doesn't seem like a victory. The cross looks like a a defeat until you realize what he was fighting. Christ's battle was against sin. Christ's battle was against death, and he faced the enemy of the sin of man. He faced the wrath of God. He faced the power of death, and he triumphed over it in his resurrection. But in order to get that triumph, To conquer as the king, he needed to be made low as a servant. And anyone who would want to follow in Christ's triumphant power needs to walk the same path that he did. And all of us who are in Christ, we have overcome the power of sin. We have overcome the power of death. And even through the pains and the sufferings of this world, Christ's life, death, and resurrection is assurance that we are triumphant with him. Yet now, we are the redeemed slaves whom Christ has purchased in his triumph. Now we are called to pick up our cross and follow him. Now we live in a broken world that is oppositional to the message of life. And following our triumphant king may, like Paul, make us an object of ridicule and shame. But even so, Christ is always leading us triumphantly. So I want you to think about your own life now. What in your own life are you looking at now as a stigma of a mark of shame that you realize, man, if, if, if only life wasn't like this, then I would really be living victoriously. If only I could have had that relationship work out. If only I could really bury my past and no one brings that up again. If only my health, Didn't have that diagnosis. If only I had a little more money. See, a lot of us, when we see this stigma and the marks of shame in our lives, we try and either uh, compensate for our weaknesses and try and like portray other strengths, or we try and just, just cover up our weaknesses and pretend like they don't even exist. But... Paul didn't feel the need to do that because he was new, knew he was following the triumphant Christ who himself triumphed through humility, humiliation so Paul could openly display the things that made him adequate. Christ in his triumph can take our if-onlys and make them even those. Even though I'm not in that relationship I want, Christ's resurrection is proof that he's leading me triumphantly. Even though people keep bringing up my past, Christ's leading me triumphantly. Even though my health is diminished, even though I don't have that job like others, Christ is leading us triumphantly. I hope you feel the weight of the burden of the if-onlys in your life. Just lift when you see the weight that Christ carried on the cross for you. The humiliation of Christ can enable you to see your pain and to see your weaknesses with a new perspective that alleviates the weight and gives you a sense of confidence. See, in Christ, his humiliation is our hope. In Christ, our pain is glorious. Our pain is glorious in Christ. Paul talks about his pains in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Your pain is real. Your pain may be truly painful, but your pain now, as heavy as it is in Christ, is light and momentary compared to the weight of what's waiting for you when Christ returns and takes us to paradise with him. In Christ, not only is the mystery of the gospel make our pain glorious, it makes our weaknesses strength. The kind of the climax of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says this man, God give us this attitude. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. Content with what? Content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Content as a Prisoner of war being put out as exhibition in open shame. Paul says, I'm content. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's stepping up to his criticizers and saying, you think that I'm really an object of shame? You don't know the half of it. And actually, that's the reason why God's going to use me powerfully. And that's the reason that why those people are going to be useless to the powerful Christ. You cannot stand on your own two legs. And be used of the Lord. But when you're down on your knees, Christ is shown as strong. When our inadequacies are interpreted through the mystery of Christ's humiliation, He can take your if only and make it an even though. So that, like Paul, you can look at the things that you suppose might be a mark of shame and stigma, but like Paul, you can say, Thanks be to God. Can you and this is hard i know this can you look at your inadequacies your uncertainties your stigmas can you look at that and say thank you god he may have given this to you to use you for his name's sake and glorify himself through you in a way that could not be done without it and that's hard because there's so much pain in this life. But let's look from the how now and move into the why. Christ is always leading us triumphantly, but why? Look back at the text with me, chapter 2, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one a fragrance from death to death, To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Uh, Paul wrote this letter with his colleague, colleague Timothy. And uh, another man, Silvanus, was a part of his work too. And throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul describes just how magnificent the message of the gospel is. Paul describes the gospel as a revitalizing message. As a dignifying message as a transforming message, as a glorious message. And Paul and Timothy and Silvanus, they understood that as messengers of the gospel, they were servants of their master, Jesus, and ambassadors of their king, Jesus, and their job was to obey him and represent him wherever they went. And they believed that through their life and through their speech that they were displaying this revitalizing, dignifying, restoring, transforming, and glorious message. Now, in this triumphal procession that the Roman generals were given after they were uh, victorious in conquest, not only would they be parading the prisoners of war behind them, but also there were other things that kind of magnified their glory as well. It would have likely been that temple priests from their pagan religions in anticipation, like ahead of the parade, in front of the parade, were in anticipation for the general coming, would be like burning or spreading incense along the streets as people watched. So it's kind of like, think of like the Santa Claus parade, like you can know that Santa's always at the back of the parade, right? but you know that there are things coming in advance that might get you ready for the uh, the Santa to come, right? And in the triumphal procession, they would spread incense in advance of the Roman general coming, and that sweet fragrance would signify people that he's coming, and it would just associate sweet thoughts with their glorious conquering king. What are the six senses do you have? Do you remember what they are? Taste, sight, smell, sound, touch. No one wants to correct me that I said six senses? You all watched that movie? All right? Okay, some people are listening. These are all stimuli of, no, uh, of information that can give us knowledge, right? Uh, I got a lot of memories from my time here at Home Arkham. Uh, some of the most fun memories are my... Uh, time in youth ministry. And some of the things I enjoyed the most were actually uh, things that I did when I was in youth ministry. And one of the things that we did almost annually for a time was the all-night lock-in. You know, some youth in the room who remember what the all-night lock-in was. And it's exactly what you think it was, right? Uh, uh, Junior high and high school students would have a full day at school and then come here, have pizza, worship and Bible teaching, and then a couple hours of crazy games, screaming and running around the church building, and then we'd watch movies and play more games all night long, and everyone would be exhausted, and, and it would give leaders the responsibility, like, at 4 a.m., like, you got to go into different rooms, because we had, like, a, a, a Pixar room, a Marvel room, a DC room, where everyone would be watching movies, and leaders just would walk through, making sure that no one was doing shady stuff. And, but at 3 a.m., after all of these things happening, and full day at school, full, full evening of running around, believe me, there was a, uh, a fragrance that, that followed you throughout the hallway. And uh, good memories from the all night lock. And when, when I remember it, those are the, one of the things that naturally comes around with it. It was unavoidable. Hey, Christian, wherever you go, you carry an unavoidable odor to your family and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors. We are the aroma of Christ. The way that we live, the message that we share will unavoidably stimulate others' perceptions around us and make them think. Uh, for some, as the Apostle Paul said, it's a fragrance of death to death. That smells like death. It comes from death. It leads to death. I want nothing of it. Other people will hear that message and think, oh, that has a fragrance of life. That must come from life, and I want that life. We kind of heard this a little bit from the baptism testimony with Bonnard, how he apparently grew up in the church, and the fragrance was it it was just it was just another social thing. It was nothing appealing to him. It was pretty neutral. But then, when he met this woman, Tanya, and the fragrance that came from her life and her love for Jesus changed his life and this you know you one to know of the reasons I love that testimony so much? it wasn't so much of a testimony of like. Tanya brought a man to church. Someone on stage told him about Jesus, and then he believed. Maybe that was somewhere involved in there, but it was really about her and her influence, and this is what God wants to do through you. When you go to school this fall, student, and you don't know if you're going to be forced to have a vaccine and how tense everyone's going to be or if it's just going to be online over Zoom again, and others of you, you're not sure if you're going to go back into the office again or you're still working from home or... Whoever we are around, we carry the aroma of Christ. Are you being a faithful, fragrant of Jesus? And you know what the interesting thing is? It's it's not our job to be the one who makes them smell a certain aroma. Our job is to be faithful to Christ. Some might interpret that and be like repulsive. Others might interpret that and be like, there's something different about you. Maybe you are here today and even coming to church or even watching online, it was a big step for you because Christianity has been repulsive for a long time. In our age, in our time, we as individuals deeply value independence and we deeply value our autonomy. And Christianity often is repugnant Because we see the hypocrisy in leaders of churches and churches and the abuses of power and it makes you want nothing to do with it. And I get that. Even recently, the church and the idea of church and Christianity, when if you just watch the news, smells repugnant. And unfortunately, churches and church leaders have kind of earned that reputation in some realms. Look to Jesus, though. Jesus of Nazareth portrays a different and a better kind of power and authority. Christianity understands that Jesus is the Son of God. He had divine power. He is triumphant, but he triumphed through his humility to serve others. He didn't use his power to coerce obedience out of others, even though they stubbornly followed their own way. And even though by following their own way, they were separated from the true life God created for them. Rather, Jesus laid down his authority and suffered the guilty punishment that his enemies deserved so that his enemies could be made friends. This is the fragrant aroma of Christ. The call of following Jesus is immense. He demands that we give up our independence, that we give up our autonomy, and that we follow him as Lord and master. But the reason that Christians gladly do uh, give that obedience to Christ in love is because of the love that we see in him at the cross. So you may look at institutionalized Christianity and it may seem just repugnant to you. Look to the man from Nazareth who was the son of God, who humbled himself to become a servant and who died so that you could have life. Believe on him and you will not be the same. Believe the love he showed for you and you will joyfully and obediently give up your independence, give up your autonomy and follow him in love. And then your life will be an unavoidable fragrance of the gospel. We don't need to be extraordinarily persuasive. We don't need to be charismatic. We don't need to be educated debaters. We just need to simply and openly live and speak The gospel. See, that's why Christ wants to lead you triumphantly, so that more people share in his victory over death. And he doesn't need you to be strong. He doesn't need you to be some great leader. He wants you in your weaknesses, so that by your weakness, he can be shown as strong. But in Corinth, these, uh, so-called fraudulent apostles weren't choosing the way of weakness in the cross. They were trying to wear their own crowns. So Paul decided that he wanted to show a contrast between himself and between them because he wanted the people to understand what it really meant to be following a triumphant Christ. So how is Christ leading us triumphantly? The, The perplexing mystery of the gospel. Why is he leading us triumphantly, to spread the knowledge of the gospel everywhere? So who? Who does Christ lead triumphantly? Who follows in tow with Christ? His true servants? Are you living like one of them? Let's look at the text again, Second Corinthians chapter two, halfway through verse 16. The Apostle Paul asks, who is sufficient for these things? Who can be the fragrance of Christ? Who is worthy to be slave, redeemed by the triumphant Lord? Who is sufficient for these things? Here's the contrast. We are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul called these so-called fraudulent apostles Peddlers of God's word. Luxury brands are pretty expensive, right? If you want to get a luxury purse, what are, you, what are you going to get? Coach. Don't ask me why I know this. I don't have a purse. Okay. If you want to get luxury sneakers, guys, what are you probably going to get? Yeezys, Jordan 1s. If you want to get a luxury watch, I don't know, Rolex? If you want to get a knockoff, just go to Pacific Mall. (laughs) These so-called apostles were peddling a counterfeit gospel. Like counterfeits, they don't care about the quality of what they're selling. They're only in it for personal gain. Paul wanted to make clear that these so-called apostles were frauds and Christ was not leading them. And later he would say that they were tampering with God's word. Not a good thing to tamper with. So who is sufficient to be led by Christ? Who does God want to use to lead triumphantly and spread the knowledge of his gospel everywhere? Who does God want to use to make a real difference for eternity today? He can use you if we are marked by the true marks of a servant of Christ. Paul shows us three of them. True servants are marked by sincerity. Sincerity is purity of motive. It's not diluted motive. A true servant doesn't want glory in this life. They embrace their identity as slaves in this life because they know they'll be glorified with Christ in the coming life. True servants are marked by reverence. Notice how Paul says, as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, God was the one that sent them. In the sight of God, they serve knowing that God has eyes on them. Reverence. Paul's reverence was his mindset in ministry. These so-called apostles were not concerned about being approved by God, but by getting the approval of others. And I want to tell you, if that's the place where you are, where your biggest concern is being seen in the sight of others, you're in a dangerous place to influence others. On the one hand, when you don't have reverence for God and you're concerned with how others view you, the approval of others can become the thing that gives your life meaning. But inevitably, we can't always please others. And when you don't have their approval, your sense of dignity could be threatened. So any criticism people give you is going to feel crushing. On the other hand, when you don't have a reverence from God, authority can be over others, can be the thing that gives life meaning. But if others don't give you their approval, because all you care about is living in the sight of others, if others don't give you approval, then you might feel like your authority is threatened. So anyone that becomes a threat just gets crushed under the bus. If you care about primarily how others see you, you will be crushed or you will crush others. But Paul could faithfully serve because he was not so much concerned about how others viewed him, but he lived in the sight of God as someone sent from God. And whether you're a mom or a student or trying uh, to serve faithfully in uh, the workplace, your concern, our concern, should not be how others see us, how God sees us—that's the mark of a true servant. They're marked by sincerity. They're marked by reverence, and finally, they're marked by faithfulness. Simply, he says, "What's my job? We speak in Christ." Chapter four, verse f- us, verse five. He says, "What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ." With pure motives and a sincere heart, a true servant simply shares the message of Christ. Thanks be to God. I'm a redeemed slave. Merely doing my duty. I get to share in Christ's humiliation, and even though it's parading around my inadequacies, He's leading me triumphantly. Christ is always leading us triumphantly. And if we want to follow Him with confidence, we need to gladly embrace our inadequacies. We all have them. We have them as a church, we have them in your families. We have them individually. Wherever God will lead this church, wherever God will lead your family, wherever God will lead you, may feel like you're just standing on the edge of a cliff. Don't know how to get across. All you know is that you're not the one who's going to be able to get there. That's the place where God wants to bring you to show his power. So embrace your inadequacies, embrace your weaknesses. When you are weak, he is strong. So wherever Christ leads, embrace your inadequacies and believe that Christ is always leading us triumphantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mystery of the gospel, that in Christ, your humiliation is our hope. God, would you forgive us if we've been people who have been boastful, if we've been trying in our own strength to make ourselves somebody Help us in humility before your cross to gladly be nothing so that you can do something through us. And we may be standing on the edge of a cliff, uncertain where we're going, but with the certainty of your resurrection, give us confidence that wherever you're leading us, you are always leading us triumphantly. In Jesus' name.